All right. Welcome. It's Jeff Mayhew. It's John Beatty. It's Politics and Parenting, where we talk about politics, but we talk about it differently. John, how are you doing today? I'm alive, Jeff. Uh, a lot of people sometimes ask you how you're doing, and sometimes all you can say is you're alive. You know, <laughs> life is a gift, and uh, I'm grateful that uh, I'm here, and I'm grateful I'm here to, to talk with you. So, how are you doing? I, I'm also alive. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what a lot of Americans are feeling right now is like the best thing that I can say is I'm breathing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's so much going on. Like, uh, not to be too tangential, but like you see there was like a mutiny in Russia and then it sort of disappeared. And you almost wonder like, who's got a dirt on what that um, you can uh, take over a city in your own country and then kind of walk away free. So um it's just interesting times. And uh, I think looking back in history, you sort of, um, you see parallels and stuff. And so I'm going through or uh, getting ready for, to go talk about Andrew Jackson. So I was listening uh, on a big road trip um, about the corrupt bargain. And uh, if you if you don't recall, uh, I'm sure you know, Jeff, but um, for, uh, we, for three, we had our sixth president, uh, my counting is right. Yeah, sixth president, Andrew uh, John Johnny. Sorry, Andrew Jackson was seven. No, but the, but the sixth one, the sixth election, or the yeah. sixth president. Um, you know, we had the Virginia dynasty. Monroe um, didn't quite have control of the party, so there wasn't really a, a true successor. So it was kind of intra-party fighting, and I think it was four people on the ballot uh, for the general election, and there wasn't someone. Someone didn't win enough votes to outright in the electoral college, and constitutionally, that kicked it to the house. Of, and the House was responsible for each state delegation had one vote to pick the next president. And so you kind of had um, some some party insiders, one of them, John, John Adams, who had been the Secretary of State, which is at that point had been the de facto uh, presidency in waiting kind of position. That's where all the other presidents had gone through there, um, uh, except for his father. And then you had some other party insiders that uh, I don't recall off the top of my head, but that's because they didn't win, and we don't talk about them that much anymore. And then we you had Andrew that. Jackson, the the um, oh Henry Clay, that's right, he was the other guy. No, we did talk about him. Uh, was he the other uh, Monroe? Monroe? Um, do you remember? It wasn't Monroe. Monroe was the fifth yeah. I'm, um, I want to say he started with that. And then Andrew Jackson, sort of the populist outsider, who was able to to pick up a couple of states and um, get pretty close and. Um, anyway, in the House of, of and the, not the House, the United States House of House, um, Adams was able to come together, build a coalition, and um, basically take the presidency through through the legal means, through the fact that that no one had won outright in electoral college, and he happened to know people in in Congress, and he could um, convince them that he was the right choice, and he ended up getting selected by Congress. To be our sixth president. Now, obviously, uh, it's tough to win to lose any election. It's tough to win. It's tough to lose. Um, and Andrew Jackson was not happy about that. And so this narrative comes about of this corrupt bargain where you've got party insiders, especially Henry Clay, who had the ear of his state and then a couple other states that he could throw to um, to put John Adams on top. So he was kind of the kingmaker in the situation, and he ended up. Uh, throwing his support behind Adams as opposed to Jackson. And um, that there's a, a three-hour meeting between Adams and Clay 
before this happens and no one really i think knows the particulars of that but you there's this sort of um this it becomes easy that you can say oh the election was stolen the election was taken from the people and it's such a as I, as I was listening to this i was like oh my gosh this is like the 2020 election where i think it's been people have different ideas in this but i think it's been pretty conclusively shown that there wasn't the widespread fraud in order to steal a couple states and that uh, Donald Trump lost in the Electoral College. But there's a narrative that comes out about this sort of this a stolen election narrative and this whole uh, concept of, of election integrity. You know, it's it's something that's been simmering for a while, I think, in, in electoral politics of uh, can we trust our elections? We're sort of allowing anyone to come and vote, same day registration, uh, widespread absentee uses. And these are all legal things that states have. But when the outcome isn't what you want, then you go, um, <clears throat> And you, it becomes easy to say, well, well, I didn't lose because of who I was, because of the campaign, because of the scenario. I lost because someone stole the election from me. Um, and so, you know, we've got this similar populist tensions uh, from the early 1800s. And we've got the same, 200 years later, we've got the same populist tensions arising from elections that don't go someone's way. So it's, it is amazing how fast, uh, not fast, but how history repeats itself, how you can see the same kind of um, human uh, uh, responses to situations where um, something didn't go my way and I'm just going to throw a hissy fit uh, and complain about it. Now, of course, inter interestingly enough, Andrew Jackson takes the energy from his electoral loss and creates the Democratic Party. He takes that coalition that supported him builds a party apparatus um, and is able to secure the election four years later. So I think we're, I think maybe the difference now is that we don't have someone with that kind of energy um, who could take an election. I think there's still a lot of infighting and I think there's a lot of, a um, lot less coalition building, a lot more uh, victimization. Yeah. I mean, so we had the election, John Quincy Adams. A Andrew Jackson, I believe, won the popular vote outright. He won the electoral vote, but he didn't reach the threshold to be president. So, like, the idea, you know, Andrew Jackson had the majority for the most part, but that's not the system we live in, right? We're a democratic mm -hmm. republic. It's about reaching the electoral college and all that. So, like, Andrew Jackson and John Quincy Adams and Henry Clay and there was one other person, I'm forgetting their name, like you did. Um, they played this game, and none of them reached the pinnacle to win. None of them, including Andrew Jackson. But Andrew Jackson felt like he won because he did better than everybody else. But that isn't the rules. And so, like you mentioned, if nobody if nobody accomplishes the objective, crosses that threshold, then it gets kicked to the house. Now you're playing a different game. Right. And Andrew Jackson didn't play that game because he wasn't a Washington insider. John Quincy Adams. Now, you can call him a Washington insider. I mean, he was he literally helped build Washington. He was there from the first administration all the way to when he takes over as president. And, um, you know, as the sixth president, you can say that's bad or you can think say that's good. There's a lot of plus and minuses to that situation. America benefits from his experience. Um but he does. He understands how to play that secondary game. Um, he cuts the deal. We don't know what it is with Henry Clay, who happens to be Speaker of the House, um, who has a lot of sway. 
And John Quincy Adams walks away with the presidency and Andrew Jackson walks away bitter and defeated. And like you mentioned, he's able to build a coalition, come back and win. And we're sitting today in this weird moment where, you know, Donald Trump's loss in 2020 is the new corrupt bargain, if you will, where it's created a lot of doubt in the electioneering system. And it's a lot of fervor against the Washington establishment. But it's not the same, right? Because he was already president. Like, how do you rail against the establishment when you were the establishment during the period of time? I mean, the idea is, you know, there's there's not conclusive, you know, evidence that fraud took place to steal the election away from Trump. But maybe you could make the argument if you're a Trump uh, supporter that the rules were written against Trump. And you go, okay, well, he was in power, you know, like his party was in power. How do you like, you just failed to do your job. I mean, everybody changes the rules for electioneering every election, essentially. That's what gerrymandering is. I mean, I'm, I'm not here to say that it's good. I'm just here, here to say that it happens. And, you know, you can't be Donald Trump and complaining that it happened to hurt you when at some point it happened to help you, you know, like you're not actually pointing out the problem. You're just being a sore loser at that point in the game. Um, and like you mentioned, it's kind of brought out this new, I don't know what the right word is, but doubt in, yeah. in the process. And we have all these different ideas and, and you kind of mentioned like, maybe we don't have the person to coalesce this or there's not the personality to bring it together. I would argue that there is a personality out there that's coalescing people, good or bad, positive or negative, um, maybe not in the direction we want it to go, but in a direction. And that's kind of the fear with the populist movement, right? The populist movement is the establishment has failed to lead the people, so the people rise up and try to take power back from the establishment. This can happen in the form of reform through elections, or it can happen in the form of revolution. Um, we've seen it in history in both ways. And right now, we see a very disgruntled group of people willing to latch on to any leader who seems to talk to them. Um, in 2016, that was Donald Trump. In 2020, it was the reform wing kind of swinging back saying, hey, this wasn't the right guy, let's pull back. And now we're sitting, it's 2023, we're getting ready to go to 2024. And there's a lot of buzz about RFK Jr. You know, like I, I've been hearing about him a lot locally here people come up to me and they ask me about him hey what do you think i was at a small group meeting just before we did this podcast and the first question i got asked at the table was what do you think about rfk jr you know and i it's strange for me because i hear this from republicans i do not hear this from democrats and rfk is a democrat right and he's running in the democratic primary at this stage but i wonder if that's where he ends up. I wonder if that is the path that happens or if he's able to maybe coalesce the new corrupt bargain of Trump, which again, it's not about what actually happened. It's just about the disenfranchisement. Right, right. It's, it's the fact that people are really upset and they're willing it's, to, it's something you can hang on to. Exactly. It has nothing to do with 
the facts. It has everything to do with emotion. And RFK, can he capitalize on that? You know, there's always he's he's, you know, on the one side of the COVID argument, which is different from the Democrats. So he's able to capitalize on that moment. Can he bring Republicans together on this election integrity thing and like coalesce either a serious run in the Dermot primary or maybe he breaks off and runs as the third party and he, you know, is more successful than Ross Perot? I, I don't know. I mean, he's got the name clout. He's got the um, he's definitely got the social media presence as far as being able to get on to Joe Rogan and all these things. There's definitely some downsides. He says a lot of crazy things, um, which you can say that's a downside, but honestly, it might be a positive in today's society. And then the one thing that I hear most consistent about him is the negative is his voice. People don't like to listen to him talk. And that's difficult for a populist because populists are traditionally really good orators. Um, so I don't know. What do you what do you think, John? Well, I think if you look at the poll numbers, he's doing he's not like a he's like a one percent uh, candidate like a lot of uh, the presidential primary um, candidates. He I think he's in the twenty percent, so I'm if I'm not mistaken, which I think rivals DeSantis, and that's against a sitting president. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of of sway in sort of the incumbency in terms of again, like you're in charge that you can. You command the, the stage, so to speak. Not that you control what people do, but you control attention. And when running for office is so much about controlling attention, um, you're you've definitely got an upper hand. So the fact that he can go against a sitting president and get double-digit percentage points in polling, um, I think, speaks a lot to that discontent. And especially since it's not, it's, it's sort of on the Democratic side, and he seems to bring people from the Republican side. I. I've kind of got have been having this thought for recently that I think we're in for a, a large political realignment in terms of what the parties kind of stand for and um and I I imagine he could he might be able to be that coalition now whether it's changing what the Democratic Party stands for or changing what the Republican Party stands for but you know there's a shift for blue collar workers into the Republican Party and there's a shift for college educated voters to the Democratic Party so does he kind of continue that and also um, break apart some of that college-educated voters into uh, more long um, quality of life issues in terms of COVID lockdowns, in terms of the advanced vaccines uh, issue. Um, you know, I, I think that that's kind of the the discontent people are, are are experiencing, and he is able to speak to that. Yeah, that's um, so. It's interesting because he. He speaks against certain things that you would, you know, you would expect him to as a Democrat. But at the same time, like he really coalesces this Republican, you know, coalition. Um, and and I think people forget that Trump in his MAGA group, they he brought a lot of Democrats with him. Right. There were a lot of people that voted for him that didn't vote in Republican primaries previously. And, you know maybe there's a potential that RFK repeats that in reverse for the Democrats, right? Like now you've got these blue dog Trump voters who switch sides for Trump, but maybe they switch back for RFK. Maybe he's also able to bring some new people along the way and he's able to coalesce, you know, enough of, I mean, I don't even think RFK has to win in the Democratic primaries. I think he just has to hurt Biden enough till the Democrats decide to pull Biden from the ticket. Because I mean, I think anybody with eyes can realize that he's too old for office. And like, that should be a thing that 
everybody recognizes. And obviously, I don't know how R, how old RFK is, but Trump is up there in age as well. And we might just need to set some guidelines as far as like how old people can be president for. But, you know, when you look and you watch Biden, he just it doesn't it doesn't exude the confidence of America or that America should exude. Um, and so if you can weaken him enough, maybe they just pull him. And now you get a different person that RFK is going against and you end up, you know, at that stage, if you pull Biden, RFK is a nominee because um, there's nobody else seriously running against him right now. No, I, I mean, I imagine someone like Gavin Newsom could probably step in at the last minute, but but I think I don't think I do Gavin like, Newsom has a chance. I would not, no, I wouldn't say he was a general, but in terms of like again the establishment right. uh, not wanting RFK and picking him, but I think what you what you talked about him being able to bring back <laughs> the Democrats that defected because of Trump. I I think there's also one of the things that Trump was able to do was to remove certain issues from the Republican planks, um, especially around uh, entitlement reform, social security reform, Medicare, Medicaid reform. Um, like if you look at the state of the union the past year, basically both both parties agree that they weren't gonna touch all that, even though that's one of the major drivers of our federal government spending. Um, and so for a while that was kind of a republic, part of the Republican creed was that you had to agree that we need to fix entitlements. Again, that's kind of vague and amorphous and doesn't really mean much, but sort of sort of campaigning on perhaps taking away those those benefits and Trump was able to convince people that that's not something to run on that that shouldn't be part of the party planks and so now RFK could take those people that have changed their mind back with him so it isn't just bringing back Democrats into the fold that had defected it could be bringing Republicans back in the fold populist Republicans who are upset with the with the establishment and uh, desperately want something new and just kind of go along with whoever the populist leader uh, party be damned yeah, I think that's the thing that the parties kind of forget is the idea that like populism doesn't exist in the Republican and the Democratic Party. Populism mm -hmm. exists in society, right. you know, and each party is trying to capitalize on that and make themselves profitable for that. But neither party is actually listening to the people, right? Like they're always just trying to say, hey, you have all these problems, well, here are our solutions. Give us money and we will solve your problem. But like that only works for so long. I mean, they've been doing that for 20 years now. We yeah. keep giving them money and the problems keep not getting solved. So at the end of the day, at some point, the people are going to continue to pick more and more radical leaders until somebody actually starts to solve their problems. And, it, you know, it's kind of crazy in a sense right because it's yeah. like the people are picking more radical leaders are the radical leaders going to be able to solve their problems probably not right but like they almost don't have a choice anymore because all the you know compromise candidates don't do anything they just lie to you you know like and it's not that they, they actively lie to you like hey i'm gonna fix this problem and then don't they just don't talk about the real problems you know like i've been a huge trump critic over my existence and i will continue to be but i mean if you want to give the guy some credit he talked about real problems that we have you know right. the swamp is real he was the leader of it he is intertwined with it he is as swampy as any other character inside his, it. his political action committee benefits tr tremendously from that swamp 
Absolutely. Like, I mean, he is literally the best. He's like Al Capone going into you and telling you all of the mob secrets. That's literally who Donald Trump is. But give him credit for telling you the truth in one specific area. He'll lie to you and tell you he has nothing to do with it. Don't believe that part. Okay. He's a criminal. Trust me. <laughs> but the other parts, like he's telling you the truth. This, this stuff is not as clean as it should be. And I think we forget that sometimes. And the leaders, they forget that. It's like, understand that they voted against you and they voted this radical leader in because you weren't doing your job. Maybe you should start to listen to them and provide some re reform before we get too far down the road and we get somebody, dare I say, worse than Trump, worse than Biden. You know, like, I mean, I look at both of those leaders and I go, Trump is the radical leader that the people pick when they're upset that becomes a dictator. And Biden is the compromise candidate that the parties put put up to hide their corruption, right? And both of those situations are very dangerous for people. Um, we've had those pre-antebellum period with, you know, Pierce and Buchanan with the compromise candidates who secretly did nothing to stop any of the problems. And then you know, populist candidates like an Andrew Jackson who swings the power or like, you know, the populist movements of the late 1800s where you end up with political violence with James Garfield and William McKinley. You know, those people, they weren't bad leaders. They didn't deserve to be assassinated by any means, but the disparity in the nation led to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the environment. So- well, I mean, don't call uh, Trump a criminal until he's been uh, convicted, you know, innocent until proven guilty in our that's, system. That's fair. He's, I mean, technically to be a criminal, you have to be uh, convicted of something. Um, he is maybe, maybe what I should say is just a bad person. Like, I don't want my children to grow up to be like Donald J. Trump in any, J in any form possible. And that's like my measuring stick for a president. If you aren't good enough to lead my children... He ain't good enough to lead my country. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's certainly missing. Is is uh, uh, you talk about compromise candidates, and I I think that's I would say maybe that's just sort of it's uh, temperate candidates, candidates who try to see things through as many eyes. I think the challenge um, of being in that position is because you're not speaking fire and brimstone. You kind of have to go at a different tact, and part of that tact is just sort of being there and. Uh, maybe not going away, you know, if because if you're if you're all um, smoke and mirrors, you know, people see right through you. But if you if you think you stand for something and you think you're right, but you don't want to lean into this populism because, you know, it could be so damaging or it can lead the wrong way. But you kind of, you know, um, I think the challenge then becomes like, how, again, how do you talk about the problems? How do you work towards fixing those um, by pointing them out, sort of working through the system? Um Without trying to take a sledgehammer to the whole system and, and and knock it all down, so that is it's it's really difficult to be in that situation where uh, people are shouting and you kind of want to be the one in the room saying, "Hey, let's let's calm down, and let's think this through." Um, but I think the only way you end up winning in that sort of middle ground is that you kind of have to be there for the whole party and um, and not leave early. Be there for the whole party and not leave. You know, because people are fighting and um, I don't know. But I mean, and that's kind of like, 
I mean, that that's almost a political game, isn't it? To mm-hmm. just sit and wait it out, right? Like everybody else is going to get tired and bored. I mean, I feel like that's that's what local politics is here. You know, if you have somebody who is disenfranchised, they show up to their local party and they try to be heard and they get, you know, turned away from and pointed in different directions. And eventually they just go away. Like, why is voter turnout so low? Why do we have so little engagement? It's because every district, every place that we have is this little, you know, form of tyranny of government where the parties run the establishment. And if you don't agree with what they say, you just have to be able to build a coalition and outlast them. You don't, you don't even get to debate with them. Like they won't buy right, They won't debate you. Yeah. They will not listen to you and they will not give you an opportunity to speak to their group. They'll shut you out of their group and their group is the only one that votes. So you're left as an individual citizen to go out and build your own group and bring it in. And it's like, you're shut out of the party faction, right? And it's like, where do you go as a person? Like, where do you go as a citizen to be able to like say, hey, I think what you're doing is wrong. I think the rules that you're writing are wrong. And you keep on writing rules to keep me quiet. And I would like to speak. Can you listen to me? And they go, no. And then that's it. Like, end of the game. (laughs) No, but you could make a monthly donation. Wouldn't be happy to accept that. Well, that's the thing is like, you make the monthly donation and like, do they care? Like, are they going to notice? Like, they're not going to give you the time unless you're, unless you're donating enough time where they call you for money, then your donation means nothing. Because essentially like the idea is that politicians are bought and paid for, but what the donors buy is their time. Okay. So if you can drop you know, be a consistent regular donor to a PAC or to a party or to a candidacy, you're going to get that candidate to call you at some point in time. Mm-hmm. During that phone call, you have a private interview with the person who's going to represent you. You get to give your uh, complaints, your ideas, your perspective, everything you want, which I'm not, I'm not saying you don't have a right to. I'm just saying that I have that same right as an individual citizen who has no money And it's not fair that the person with money has more of a right than me, you know, because it's like the representation is the people's speech. Like, number one, First Amendment, right to speech, okay, freedom of speech. That's in our representation. If speech is bought and paid for, then there's there's no right anymore, right? Like, you don't actually have the right. It's now you have to earn it. You have to pay for it. Um, And so it's the biggest, I don't know, restriction of our rights in our history. And, and, you know, you look at look at the Civil War, you know, look at the African-American. They were enslaved. Right. And even after slavery, we freed them, but we still didn't give them the rights that they deserved. We inhibited that over and over again. And as much progress as we've made on race as a whole, on the individual level, white or black, we've restricted everybody's speech. We've respe- restricted everybody's ability to make change in their country. And actually, going back to the pre the antebellum period, like there was gag orders on petitions that came to Congress. Like if you sent a petition said, we'd like you to get rid of slavery, it was just banned from discussion and they wouldn't talk about it. And then Southern postmasters would, would ban circulars and 
not distribute them if it didn't uh if it was if it was an anti-slavery uh newsletter or something and so that's that same kind of of um frustration with not being able with not with knowing you're not heard but also not having that opportunity to speak um to, to people yeah I think, you know, that kind of going back to our original topic with the whole new corrupt bargain, I think that's where a lot of people that voted for Trump feel disenfranchised because they did, because of COVID, they changed a lot of the election laws mm -hmm. pretty late in the game. You yeah. know, I think, you know, if if I'm Donald Trump or I'm on the Donald Trump side, my argument is not against uh, computer machines changing the votes or anything. My complaint is on the way they changed the rules late in the game. Like that's yes. real, that's the real corruption that you want to attack because that's actually tangible and, and something of fact. The other other stuff, it's all, you know, people will bring their data and data can be manipulated all you want to serve your purpose. And people can bring their videos and it can be misconstrued. But at the end of the day, you know, the courts and the way that they change the system. Um, that is agreed upon on both sides. And uh, we've agreed that one side is allowed to do one thing and the other side couldn't. And you can say, well, they had better lawyers, but I don't know, like, do we want that? Like, do we want lawyers really deciding everything for us? I don't know. There's, there's a lot of lawyers in politics that decide <laughs> too much. So maybe we're already, we're, that's where that, uh, that um, cat is out of the bag. <laughs> well that's true <laughs> so um yeah i mean and i think that the data thing is tough too because um it is a secret ballot like we we respect that that we don't actually know who someone voted for we don't want to know um and when you bring your quote-unquote data uh it's kind of a facsimile because it isn't truly what people voted for with it it's just sort of an aggregation and then that's where um that uh lies damn lies and statistics saying is so true because you can just make statistics up and come up with models that fit something here and and massage it there and that helps your whole corrupt bargain story and uh, that helps sell a narrative that um causes more resentment and more it honestly disenfranchises people because they you may have you in the back of your mind you just sort of think well maybe this doesn't matter at all and that's probably the worst part about it at all. Well, and that's the thing is like, I think that people, you know, in the political establishment, whether it be the old establishment or the new populist establishment, establishment that's trying to take hold, like they, nobody is selling any type of or form of hope. Mm -hmm. Nobody, you know, <clears throat> even like the you know, anti-Trump people who claim to be all high and mighty. I mean, they're just, they're throwing daggers every which way, whether it be at Trump or DeSantis. Like Trump was the worst thing ever. And now DeSantis is the worst, that is worse than Trump, according to some people. And I'm just like, look, you're not, you're not supporting your credibility here. And I think what they forget is how important it is to have hope. Mm -hmm. like, hope is what drives America. The idea that we can put in hard work and it be rewarded is what makes America great. Like Trump was like, let's make America great again, right? Like he doesn't understand what makes America great because he was handed everything on, you know, on a silver platter and filled, filled uh, served with a silver spoon 
and he's never had to put a hard work uh, day's work in his life. Okay. But at the end of the day, it's the fact that regular Americans understand that if they work hard and they do the right thing, they can advance in this country. And that's being lost every single year. And, and now we see it in the political establishment too. And it's like, we have to like, we have to start to point to our good parts of our country. Like there's, there's going to be bad. All right. Everybody is good and bad. We're all flawed and we're all trying to be better, but like, we can't only focus on, on the bad stuff. We have to start to highlight some hope, some belief. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what is democracy? Uh, Republic is the, the worst, the least worst governmental <laughs> system. I mean, like, I think that's that it goes back to it. Like we have to accept that there are flaws uh, just because it's a human institution and we can put safeguards in place. And if we respect those safeguards, it generally works better. Um, and then again, like if we if we put in some hard work, uh, you can get something out of it. I, I think most of the hard work that uh, Donald Trump did was getting his lawyers to uh, skirt the law as much as possible for his personal benefit. And that's just what we saw with, with him in the presidency was him doing allowing some people to do great work and then allowing other people to kind of um, enrich themselves and allow him to enrich himself. Yeah. And I, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to point fingers at Donald Trump here. I mean, he's definitely not the only one that has done that, mm -hmm. right? Like that's the problem, right? Is it's, if Donald Trump was the only person skirting the rules and paying lawyers to advance himself, the country wouldn't be so bad. He wouldn't be able to do it so successfully. The problem is the fact that, he was able to accomplish this because everyone else does it. And he was just doing it and pointing out the problem at the same time and profiting from it at the same time that made him both this, you know, mythical truth teller and hypocrite all at the same time, you know, and it's really dangerous for society because you have one group of people that sees the bad in him and all the things. And then you see the other, the other group of people that thinks he's this, some sort of savior. And, and then the reality is he's just a person like the rest of us. And he is severely flawed like the rest of us, you know, like there's not much difference between Trump and me or you and Trump or Trump and the guy standing at the corner, right? It's all just circumstances. We're all human beings. Yeah. No. Interesting times. Interesting times. So, uh, so uh, going shifting gears to our, uh, our, the second part of our show, the, the parenting section, this is, um, we, uh, we took the opportunity for summer to begin to kind of shift how uh, we do our kitchen cleanup. And I think that's, um, that's a great way to get your kids involved and, and helping out is, uh, you know, maybe they're not old enough to cook, but they're certainly old enough to uh, wipe the table, load the dishwasher, and uh, clean the dishes. And, and so now our oldest, I think, is old enough to sort of uh, manage that whole process. So I'm what I'm doing right now is I promoted him uh, to kitchen manager. So he's ultimately responsible for making sure that everything gets done. Um, and so now I have to train him to do that job. But then I'm also realizing that I have to train everyone else up as they kind of get promoted themselves and move up the, the ladder. So the son who was um, doing the dishwasher, he's now going to learn how to properly clean the pots and pans. And so I find myself kind of standing over him and sort of pointing out, you know, just because everyone needs training when we get, when we get a new job. And so I'm just saying like, oh, you gotta, you gotta actually use a steel wool in this situation. Cause that, that bit of dirt there is not going to come off and then you got to make sure you rinse it all. And then um, doing the quality assurance and, and looking at the dishes that come out and saying like, look, this is, 
still kind of greasy here. You should go back and wash that. And um, I think that's that's something that's so important with parenting is, and I think in life in general, if you give someone a responsibility, uh, you do kind of have to train them up and you do kind of have to um, almost fire yourself in that respect where you make them so, they give them the opportunity to succeed um, by showing them what they're supposed to do, what their expectations are, uh, what, what can be improved, and then um, letting them run free and uh, and uh, clean the kitchen themselves. So it was great. We know after dinner, I got to sit by the table outside since it's nice, uh, except for the uh, the weird smoke um, coming from Canada. Like, what is it to, happening again? What what yeah, went on? Uh, more more wildfires. Is it really? Like, I just like I was sitting at my brother's house and he was like, "Why is it so smoky outside?" And I go. Yeah, why is it so smoky? I thought the fire ended like a week ago. I think that one did, but I think it's it's just new ones. I mean, like if oh, it's man. really cool if you pull up some of the um quality maps and you can see the little hot spots. So I don't know. The other ones were kind of more in the um, I want to say like north of Montreal or that area. And these ones seem to be more like the Toronto, Great Lakes area of Canada. They're coming down. So, okay. you know, speaking of, of people having their differing opinions on where these come from, you, if you read some articles to say, well, this is just climate change is causing this. Um, and then if you kind of know how forests are managed, you also realize that uh, sort of fires are natural in, in how uh, forests go through their own cycles. And we kind of haven't let these forests burn for probably 50 to 60 years. And so there's so much fuel stored up that what normally would be a smaller uh, conflagration that wouldn't um, be so bad, just, be, just there's so much fuel, it becomes massive and it burns it up. And then like you, if you ever drive out West, it's, it's really sad to see all these barren hillsides of uh, burned out stumps. But then it's also cool because as you pass through like uh, recently burned out areas, you can see all the growth come right back up. So, you know, it's just, it's part of nature and uh, we get to, you know, again, like we're alive, Jeff, we're, we're living through this. And it's, it's interesting to see how the world turns regardless of who's, how many people are on the, uh, the presidential primary tickets for both parties. Right. It's almost like, the people in power don't have as much power as they think they have. Uh, well, it's probably they don't have as much power as they know. They know they don't have as much power, but they want you to think that they do. And that's. Uh... I I don't know. I think we're at a place where they think they have as much power as they think they have. Like, I think that they're like, they're so like, you know, you've heard of the fourth turning. I mean, the the whole fourth turning idea is like, it is the child or the grandchild that has doesn't know his great grandfather yeah and he doesn't know like he doesn't yeah he he just he's gotten so far away from his history that he's making the same mistakes again and i think like that's where we're sitting like prime square these people leading us they have no idea how serious the the decisions because if they did know how serious this was they wouldn't be saying the things that they're saying like no competent human being would go up there and speak like biden trump or rfk you know like it, it like these are just they're not serious people they haven't studied history they don't understand what's going on and they're all just speaking from a place of i either know better or i can take this power and i think that's it's not a good spot to be in <laughs> No, and, and perhaps that's the problem is it's not just people at the top. It's people all all up and down the ballot, as they say, that yes. think that they can come in and um, um, get things done, as they say. Well, I mean, reality. Look, we ran in the District 10, right? Like, I mean, and that's where the real problem is. Like, if you have a, a bad president in this republic, it's actually not the end of the world. Like, you can have a bad president and survive. But if you have a bad president mm-hmm. 
in coercion with a bad Senate and a bad House, you're in really big trouble. And we ran for a, in a House district, and I tried to help the person who ran, who won the primary against us. Hey, I will work for you. I will do this thing. And he doesn't want to listen to you. He doesn't want to listen to your things. And it's like when you get leaders that don't want to listen to the people who are willing to volunteer for free, and they only want to listen to the people who are willing to pay for you, you've gotten out of whack, man. Like the system's no. broken. Nobody's actually functioning the way it should. It's all for profit. It's all for power. And it's not for people anymore. And I think, you know, bad presidents are one thing. A bad house, like the, our primary, the fact that there were 11 people running in it. I think there's already, you know, there's already people running in VA7 in the district, you know, locally here to us in Congress. And I'm like, this is, these are not good signs for our society, um, that's a discontent sign, you know, people are fed yeah. up. Um, and I think that, you know, I don't know, not good, not good at all. Not good, but there's, but there's hope, there's hope, you know, we can, well, yes, there is we hope. Can, we can make it better. <laughs> I mean, I think the hope is the fact that when I go and I talk to regular people, they see the same things that we see, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it, we don't have to explain it and maybe they don't understand all the way. It's just the eye test. They go, you know, they've been saying this for four years now or eight years or whatever it is. And I just, I don't see any change. And I almost, it feels a lot worse than it was. You know, I was told that America was going to be great again in 2016. And now it's 2023. And that guy's running on the same platform again. I don't, I don't understand. Like if it was make America great again, didn't you already have your chance? You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's true. It's It's been basically two terms of things getting worse overall uh, yeah. with with rising costs and um, just society seeming to get worse and more abrasive. Um, so, I, yeah, that's that is the challenge. How do you communicate your solutions or how do you communicate that maybe they're, what these people are saying aren't true and that isn't a solution? Um, you know, it's it's tough to. It is much easier to, to run and say like, oh, I'm going to fix all your problems than it is to run and say, well, maybe there are problems that we can't necessarily fix through this process. And you just, we got to find other outlets and means. Well, I mean, I think that's, that's almost the, cons uh, the, the corporatization of America is the idea that I don't think regular Americans want to accept that. Like we don't, we, it's almost like a brave new world where we've been shaped into this dependency and this idea that all of our problems can be fixed, mm -hmm. it's its not rational. It doesn't make sense. Our problems can't be solved. You know, we're going to have problems all the time. And like, if you're running the candidacy and all you're doing is pointing out other problems, it's like, duh, like, I get it. Like, <laughs> stop telling me what the problems are like fix something. Like, I don't expect you to fix everything. Fix something, you know, like there's so many options out there for you. Tell me some ideas. Like you said, give me some hope. Hope and change, right? That's, I mean, that's, that's a powerful message. Yeah. <laughs> How well did that work out? Well, it got him elected. So uh, if, if your goal is to be elected and then to have a mansion on Martha's Vineyard, so it was very successful. Speaking of, you know, it's funny they bring it up. You know, we have a good friend. He's written a book. It's coming out uh, soon. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Filthy Rich Politicians. Filthy Rich Politicians. Uh, Matt Lewis, it's coming out, I believe, sometime in July. Uh, you can pre-order it on FilthyRichPoliticians.com or 
I believe Amazon, the big corporatization of America. Um, but go out and support it. It gives you a good idea of how politicians enter office being on meager salaries and end up being very wealthy. And it maybe maybe question the rules that we have in place about, you know, insider trading, term limits, you know, things like that. <laughs> Sounds like some populist fodder right there. Populism? No. You know, when when we ran for office a couple of years ago, I was talking about populism and people looked at me like I was crazy. And now I feel like everybody's talking about populism. It's going to be in the front. It's going to be right. That's how, that's how I feel after my uh, three and a half years in the school board is I think I've been right about pretty much everything. And it's just frustrating when no, people, other people don't see that. And you're just like, oh, come on, people. Well, so that's Walk, the thing. Work with me. It's like, am I first? Like, first of all, can I, do I know that I'm first, right? Like, is it, wasn't, maybe there was somebody else that ran in North Dakota, like three years before I ran on the same thing. And I just haven't heard of them because the system doesn't want to allow the voices out. Right. And mm -hmm. it's like, who cares? Who cares who's first or not? Like, this is the thing that's happening. Let's start talking about it. <laughs> no, I, I agree. You know, it's, um, it's just letting people know what's going on. I think that's. That's the important thing. Um, you know, it's not necessarily about the messenger. It's about the message. Yeah. Well, you know, we got sidetracked from our parenting thing, but I wanted to let's let's circle back to that for a second. So you you talked about um, getting the kids in the kitchen and kind of like training your your employees, right? Mm -hmm. Like every member of the family is an employee in the family. If you think about it, you know, two hundred years ago, like you've worked on the farm, you were an employee, right? Like you had a certain task. Um, we do the same thing. Our household's different than yours because our kids are kind of spread out differently. Um, so summer changes things. Um, we've got two 13-year-olds and two six-year-olds. And sometimes we let the 13-year-olds watch the six-year-olds at home during the day while we're at work. But we provide like a schedule. And uh, it's it worked out really. It's worked out really well this year so far. That's I'm, really, great. I'm really proud of my kids. Um, Oliver is, you know, he's... He really, he's going through that moment where you, be, you know, from the boy to the man, and he really takes pride in, you know, like the idea of being a man, you know, which is to just take care of yourself and take care of others, which look, if we think about it, it's also the same idea as being a woman, right? To take care mm -hmm. of yourself and to take care of others. It's just, you do it in different ways because of your, you know, gender. And uh, he's really... He's done a great job of that. We set a schedule for the fan for the kids where, you know, like Oliver's with the girls at 10 and he's outside playtime. And then Julia's with the girls and it's, you know, at 11 and it's reading. And we like block out their schedules. We make sure that every kid has different alone time during the day. And uh, just really proud of my kids for taking on the extra challenge. You know, two 13-year-olds, you can go to them and say, hey, you're going to watch your sisters during the day while mom and dad are at work. Um, or you can go to them and you go, hey, here's a learning experience for you. Here's your first opportunity to lead. Here's mm -hmm. your first opportunity to manage. Um, these girls, the twins, are going to cause you havoc through the day. Here are the tools. And that's kind of what you were talking about with, um, I'm sorry, the... the uh, the oldest uh, cleaning the dishes, look at the steel, steel wool, right? It's like, you're trying to provide him the knowledge and tools to get his job done. 
right? And it's the same thing we're doing with the older ones is like, here's the schedule. This is kind of a tool for you. If the girls behave in this way, here's how you handle it. Timeouts, be, you know, don't yell, don't scream, just be patient with them. They'll mm -hmm. get bored of fighting you. And eventually they'll just listen to you because it's easier for them. Um, every kid wants to be entertained and no kid wants to be alone. If you understand this and you're patient enough about it, you can kind of make change in the behavior. Um, and so it's been a good summer so far, good start to that. And, uh, you know, like you, like you said, you got to train, you got to fire yourself at some point in time and let your kids do the next job. You know, it's their first opportunity because they're going to be a parent one day. Mm -hmm. Or an employee. I mean, like they're going to work for someone else. Right. If, if they're not working for themselves. I mean, um, but even then, if you're working for yourself, you're still working for someone else. Uh, it's just a That's different, true. you know, you're always, you're always at someone's back and call uh, and reasonably so. And it's just, you need to learn how to control yourself so that you can serve others and, and uh, fix their problems. How about right. that? Fixing problems. I Starts mean, at home. Some people just love fixing problems. Like maybe that's their vice. You know, like some people's vice is cocaine and some people's vice is alcohol. But like there are weird people in the world that like their vice is like fixing problems. Like maybe let's indulge that one a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's called a virtue in that that's called a, a virtue in that uh, situation but like i mean as a society don't we indulge all the other vices like entertainment society advertising everything indulges all of these very negative vices in our life but we don't have any of those power structures indulging the positive vices like my wife virtues they're virtues a vice so uh sorry i don't pedantic but a habit Habit is what you do, and then a vice is a negative habit, and a virtue is a positive habit. That's a fair way to put it. Um, that is the way to put it. I mean, I don't know. Like, my wife, I mean, yes, that's true. I think that the way that my wife will get after me is because I'm so focused on the other thing that maybe I forget to take care of myself, and that's the vice that I have, right? Sure. No, that if it's a negative, then it's a vice, but I'm just... Yeah. Uh, no, I don't want to. Don't want to. Yeah, because she's she's like her argument is you could do both, and my argument is there's not enough of me to go around, so I'm going to sacrifice my personal thing for this other thing. And she says that that's bad, and she's probably right. I probably could do better, but I'm a weak man like everybody else, so I just do what I can. Um, but yeah, like we should have more of a a societal power structure that is accepting of somebody. I don't know, working for others as opposed to working for themselves, you know, like as opposed to, you know, the, all the new vapes and weeds and alcohols and, you know, just the, what is, what is that very popular site? Oh, man. TikTok? That's a bad one too. It was the, it's the adult one. Um, it's basically like a porno site. I, I don't know the name of it. Um, I hear about it occasionally. Um, but it basically like allowed like regular people, like they, they do subscriptions, they do porn. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, OnlyFans. Yeah, That's that thing. Like, yeah, what, what is, like, like, what are we doing as America? Like, why is this something that we want? You know, I was talking to a group today. It's like, it's like Substack for sketchy behavior. It's... But like, think about it. When television came out, 
our government and our society came together and they were go, hey, look at this great technolo technological advance that we have that can communicate both imagery and sound to millions of people like that. We need to be careful with this. We need to write some rules so we don't have this going on and you know putting out negative things to our kids. Mm -hmm. But we didn't do that with the internet. And like we just, all those negative things, like we said, all right, it's free and it's open and everybody can have access to it. And it's the individual's job to protect their children from this very dangerous thing. And now we've gotten so far down the road at it that people just think that that's normal. Like they think that that's okay. Um, and it's infiltrated, you know, our society on a very deep level when it comes to, you know, that's how things are funded. Gambling is bigger now. Porn industry is bigger now. Uh, screen industry is bigger now. Like it's really hard as a parent to keep your children from that stuff because it's just part of regular society now. I think the sports gambling is probably one of the the saddest. Well, I mean, there's a lot of bad things, but the, yeah, that is a, the sports game in particular in terms of how intertwined the sports leagues have become, where they make so much money off people advertising their gambling services, which is just sucking money out of people. Um, and I mean, like you know, there's there's some fun in terms of having like a poker game with your friends or something, but I think like like sports betting um is one of those things where it it doesn't have this it isn't like a social thing it's very much a, a personal thing and it is a, a, a vice for sure where um uh, you're just spending money uh for some kind of uh buzz some kind of um dopamine hit it's the it's competition right mm -hmm. because like human beings are wired to compete for survival and we have risen to a place in society where a lot of a lot of people don't have to compete for survival and so what do they do they find other ways to compete which ironically hurts others survival you know like yeah. because you're dragging resources for your personal enjoyment to fill this need that you need in your in your being because you are privileged to a degree you know and it's not to say that everybody that gambles is privileged it's certainly not i've gambled you know and i mean i'm privileged other more than others but less privileged than others everybody is in their own place in society but at the same time like if you have the opportunity to do that even if it's myself you have to understand like you've at least gotten to that point you know that's a that's a plus you know that you have income that you're willing to risk at some point in the game um, it's not something that I do enjoyably and it's, you know, I've quit because I don't know, it's just not something that brings me joy in my life mm -hmm. to guess if somebody else is going to win a game or not. Like, I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the other thing too, is who's making all the money off of uh sports gambling. It's not, it's, it's not the, the pop, mom and pops putting their money in there. It's the, uh, the people running the services because they, uh, they, they know more. And they make the they make the people who gamble think that they know more, because <laughs> that's the shtick, right? Like that's what keeps yeah. you coming back. Is like, well, next time I'm gonna get them. That's right. Next game, John. Do we have an event coming up soon? Yes, Jeff. We got two events: July eighth and July twenty fourth. That's awesome. So July eighth, that's gonna be a great main, right? Yep. What are we gonna bring be the family? Bring the kids. 
Bring your favorite uh, political, you know, now that the primary is over, bring your favorite candidate to come meet people. <laughs> well, it's a it's a small business showcase, right? We're kind of a small business, aren't we, John? You know, we have to fight, a, you know, in the the market with the Democratic and the Republican parties, and they have all the money and all the power to change the regulations. And we're just left like, hey, we have ideas. Listen to us. We're just, um, this is part of our coalition building. That's all. And I think that's the same thing that businesses go through locally here in, in Virginia. It's like they have to fight against all the corporations with all the money and all the power to regulate the industry. And they kind of get left out in the fold. Um, so we put on a small business showcase. It's going to be a great main on July 8th from 12 to 6 p.m. There'll be free food, barbecue. John's going to make pork. I'm going to make brisket. We're going to have all sorts of different sides. Um, we're going to have raffles. Uh, we've got different businesses donated. We're going to have several different businesses be vendors at the event. Um, the Flannel Dino, which happens to be me, will be reading... <laughs> <laughs> reading for the kids. We'll have story time at 1.30, 2.30, and 3.30. We'll be reading Pete the Cat, Dr. Seuss, Stuart Little, Charlotte's Web, some of my personal favorites. Um, there's cornhole there. There's different types of games there. Uh, we've got the Floss King slinging cotton candy. Vanessa's very excited about that. She loves cotton candy. And if you never, you know, anybody locally, if you've seen the Floss King out, it's pretty cool. He, it's not just somebody making cotton candy like he puts on a show with his cotton candy it's it's interesting um so it's it should be a good event um really happy with the feedback so far and uh you know what do you what are you look most looking forward to the event for john i'm looking forward to trying the beers at great main brew i heard uh they are top notch uh, as they've been mentioned many times in this podcast and then i i just think like it's um it's good to have events with with people right on the camera right there Great main brewery. <laughs> how is the fireberry? So I have to be honest, I actually don't drink the fireberry because it's an IPA and I'm not an IPA guy, but that's the first design we did. Um, and everybody loves that beer. I'm the outlier. I get it. I'm the weirdo that doesn't like IPAs, but you know, whatever. I like to I, like, I go and get the Malcolm. That's what I drink. There's still hope for you yet. <laughs> And then uh, 24th, we've got the uh, Taste of Old Country, uh, an evening with the Madison Republicans. That's right. We're going to um, just have like a little private dinner uh, for people to come out and, you know, talk about the uncomfortable things, ask questions that they don't want to talk about. Although I found recently that people are much more comfortable in speaking this out loud as we become more discontent with our leaders. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it was an opportunity for us to put on uh, a little thing because I just realized that people are kind of scared. They're scared to ask questions. I think it's part maybe they're afraid of the response or maybe they don't think they know as much as they don't. They do know. And what I can tell you is you know way more than you think you know. You're way yeah. smarter than you are and or, or the, way smarter than you believe you are. And uh, the people in the room that you're sitting around watching that make you feel dumb, they're not as smart as they think they are. Um, you put those combinations together and you're now on an evil playing field. <laughs> and we're there to help you uh, to come to that enlightenment. Yeah, I. Uh, so it's funny because I had a friend, he owns um, 
he owns a small business in the area. I don't want to, um, and he was in a meeting in a local town, not ours, but somewhere else. And he was telling me, he's like, man, it's like gotten pretty, pretty liberal out there. I was in a meeting and we were doing some museum stuff and they were talking about putting in a project for the revolutionary war. And they had a whole section for African-Americans, which makes sense. And a whole section for queers. That was their words, not his, not mine. Um, and I said, how does that make sense with the American Revolution? And he said, well, they had a professor there who found one general who was gay. And I go, they don't know that. They don't know that. I'm sorry. I read a lot of history. I haven't read this. And <laughs> even if I did read it, I bet you there's a lot of like, back and forth evidence that doesn't actually prove that this person was gay. And now you're creating a whole section inside of a museum to support this one very small faction of society that didn't actually exist at the point in time that you're representing them. And he goes, I thought the same thing, but they all had degrees and I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, that's nice. where we live in society is like the people with the pieces of paper tell us that we're stupid. Yeah. And the truth is we're not stupid. Like he is just as smart as everybody else in that room. And what he was thinking and what he felt was a hundred percent true. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of like, what is censorship in a way? It's a one group of people making you feel like you can't say, or you shouldn't say one thing. And, um, I don't know. I feel like we should be able to say whatever we want. Yeah, I mean, within reason, obviously. You know, let the reason guide. But, but I think it it is important to be able to uh, to have a dissenting opinion, and to say that maybe maybe we should rethink that. And I think that that's that's the merit right there. That's the beauty of free speech. You know, that's why we have it because speech is messy, but it's important that someone is able to uh, be able to say something um, uncomfortable, and then. Uh, we can... Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing where my point is like, you should be able to say whatever you want to say, whatever it is, even if it's awful, but you should listen to what the person has to say back to you when you say the thing that's awful, because that is what our nation is founded on. It's founded on debate. You know, it's founded on the idea that we don't know what is right and what is wrong. We speak what we believe, and then we debate until we find a consensus. You know, there's only one power that can actually understand all of this and he's beyond us, you know? Um, and so it's not to say like that people's opinions are wrong or, or whatever. It's to say like, if I disagree with you, I should feel comfortable enough to say it out loud without having to fear to lose my business or mm -hmm. to lose, you know, my livelihood or to be shamed or whatever we should be able to have a civil debate over it. And I just, you know, we've lost that in so many ways. Yeah. No, it's tough. I mean, like the, you say the one wrong thing and uh, people come after you. Yeah. But no more, right, John? Not after, not after RFK takes it, takes it back, right? <laughs> oh, but he, but he won't be able to fix everything, you know? And there'll be someone, someone else around the block. <clears throat> that's what i tell people i'm like he's just another he's just another populist who came from the establishment all right like like he is 
part of the establishment. He grew up in a different place than the rest of us grew up. He had privileges that the rest of us didn't have. Um, so let's not forget that. No. All right. Well, what do you think, John? Was that a good episode? It's a good episode. Can't wait to listen to it again. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to uh, join us, uh, the next event is July 8th, Saturday at Great Maine. You can RSVP at MadisonianRepublicans.com or on our Facebook page, you can find us at Madisonian Republicans. And the next event will be July 24th. You can RSVP for that on Madisonian Republicans as well. There is limited space for that. So make sure you do RSVP in advance. Um, anything before we leave the people, John? No, just be thankful you're alive. That's right. Be thankful you're alive. Peace and love. <laughs>